we're going to actually uh, mix things up a bit. Um, here's a perfect example why it's good to be on time, if not a little bit early. Because you never know what you're going to miss. You never know what, what might happen. And you're like, wait a second. We're supposed to do a half hour of worship. Then we do announcements. Then we receive the offering. Then we... Wait a second. No. Why does it say... Where does it say that? Show me a chapter and verse that that is the Christianese uh, schedule of events in a service. You know, I, we used to say back uh, all along that you know hey, we are so charismatic. We're just free. We we don't have an order of service. Yeah, we do. We just don't put it down in the bulletin. We can still set our watches by things. And and, and just I don't know if you can feel this, but there's like this. Well, wait a second. It's just like this uncomfortable feeling right now because we only sang one song, and that's not right. It's not right to stop after one song. I know. So we're going to mix things up a bit. I asked Ricky to, to leave this up for a second, and here's, here's why. Read this with me. Holy Spirit, You are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by Your presence, Lord. Now, my question to you this morning, is that really what you want. Now think about that for a second. Have you ever been overcome by the presence of God? Have you been just so overwhelmed that you lose control? Because we're Americans. We like to be in control. We like... We like for things to, to go a certain way, to have our day planned out, to have our week planned out, to have our month planned out. And there's even some who like to have their year planned out. We like to have it so figured out that there is never a question about what's about to happen next. And we get so planned out that we don't leave room for God to say, now for something completely different. That verse that I read this morning, I kept laughing, and uh, even just during that one song, because I hadn't planned on laughing. I hadn't planned on it being funny at all. But as I started reading this morning, everybody turn with me to Psalm chapter 149. Psalm 149, so the last uh, chapter of Psalms 150, but let's go back to 149, 1-6. through six. It says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in His Maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their King. Let them praise His name with dancing. Have you ever danced in a church service? Now, are we talking the Tulsa-Rusalem shuffle? You even know what that is? Yeah, back in, back in the 80s and the 90s. I used to call that the Tulsa-Rusalem shuffle. I actually don't do that very well. It just feels really awkward to me. Now, I'm talking about dancing. When, you know, the, the, uh, the example that I like to use is David 
leading the ark back. David, David leading the ark back from uh, where it had been out of Jerusalem for way too long. Or actually, it had never gone to Jerusalem. Now that I think about it. It had been traveling around in a, in a, in a tent. And that tent had been pitched way outside of town. And, and David says, why shouldn't it be here? Why shouldn't, it, why, why shouldn't the presence of the Lord be in my hometown? So he went to bring the ark. And when he did, as he brought the ark, he made sacrifices, and it said he began to dance. And it said he began to dance so hard that he began to sweat. And then he sweated so hard it was time to start taking clothes off. And it said he stripped all the way down to where he just tied his shirt around his waist and he danced with all of his might. And his wife says, my goodness, man, what are you doing out there? Now, I'm not talking about marital problems right now. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is identification in somebody who has completely lost it in worship. Completely lost it. That's what I'm talking about this morning. Are you ready to be overcome with the presence of God? So full that the atmosphere is so full in the worship service, in that moment, that you absolutely lose control and you do something that somebody else might stand back and go, you put your clothes back on. Now don't go there. That's not what I was meaning by that. <laughs> but you just lose it. Do you know that's biblical? Worshiping so hard, you don't care what anybody else in the room is thinking. Now, I grew up Baptist. And before that, even worse, I grew I had the first 12 years of my life, I grew up congregationalist. Do you know what you know what congregationalist is? Congregationalists were the what were what the pilgrims were when they came across. I mean, they were the the you know the example of modicum of modesty, and everyone sits still. And did, did you just raise your hand? I was asking a question. I don't care. Don't move that hand. I was taught all the way through my childhood: sit in the sit in your seat, put your hands on your lap, and don't move. Otherwise, God will be ticked. I make I'm making fun of it. But it, they just they don't get wild. And then Baptists, they don't get wild. They just like they have rules against getting wild. Across the front of the sanctuary when I was a kid with these huge two foot letters. I mean it was a much bigger sanctuary than this, but huge two foot letters all the way across that said, Be still and know that I am God. <laughs> So the idea of just absolutely cutting loose and having no care whatsoever about anyone around you, what they think, what they even see, you don't care because even better, they're all doing the same thing, is is very foreign to us. That idea, that idea of worship getting so overcome by God, overwhelmed by God, by the presence of God, 
has really only happened to me three times. And that's sad. The first time was in Jamaica. First time I, first mission trip I ever went on. Went to Jamaica, saw some amazing things. I saw things that I, you know, growing up in southern Minnesota, I didn't know still existed. I saw a couple of demon-possessed people get completely freed up by God. One guy. Here was, here was my, here was my, my, my introduction to the Spirit. I mean, the real, the real moving of the power of God, just like in the Bible. I didn't know that stuff still existed. Didn't know it existed. Didn't know that God still did this stuff. Southern Minnesota. Grew up in Hollandale, Minnesota. A little tiny, you know, I mean, anybody know where Hollandale is? Been through, you know, you've been through there by accident. Exactly. I'm in this meeting, this camp meeting, and they said, okay, we're going to have a prayer line now, and we're going to pray for everybody. And I'm just standing back, I'm in the back row just watching, praying, you know. Oh God, this is my job, you've sent me here to pray. and just Because it's safe back there. Back rows are safe. And everybody, they, all these people come up and all of a sudden the guy leading the service looks back at me and he goes, get up here. I'm like, what? I don't know anything. Just come. He says, you don't have to know anything. Get up here. I want you to pray for this guy over here. Okay. I don't know what to do. He says, just follow the Holy Spirit. I don't know what to do. He goes, just do it. Will you get over here? So I, I get over in front of this guy, little guy about this big, old, smelled like whiskey, man. I mean, he just, it was, he reeked. And I said, well, what would you like prayer for? And he goes, I got demons. I went, you got Jack Daniels, man. I don't <laughs> you can call him whatever you want, but I've, I've, I've smelled that before. That's Jack Daniels, you know. I said, yeah, okay, right. He goes, no, no, really, I got, I got demons. I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Very nice. I'll pray for you. Oh, Lord, bless this man. Bless him, Father, in the name of Jesus. Thank you for him, Father. Bless him. I opened my eyes, I look at him, I said, How are you doing? He goes, I still got demons. <laughs> okay. All right, here we go. <laughs> oh Lord. Because I mean I'm charismatic now. Got filled with the Holy Ghost about half, you know, six months before this. Might as well get Holy Ghost. Oh Lord. That was that was the most I had ever gotten out of control ever. You know. Oh Lord. Please bless this man and you know set him free from whatever he's got problems with. Because I'm thinking that covers alcoholism, you know. Set him free, Father, from whatever problems he has. Take open my eyes. I said, How you doing? He goes, I still got demons. I went, shoot. I had just used up every prayer I could think of, you know. I said, well, good luck, you know. <laughs> God bless you. And I, and I walked away from him. I walked away from him. I'd done my part, you know. I'd been obedient. I had done my part. Service goes on. And all of a sudden, I see this little 80-year-old woman who had gone, 80-year-old woman on a mission trip. 
80-year-old woman had gone with us on this mission trip. And from the moment I saw she was on our trip, on our plane, I was ticked. Because I thought, that's all. I'm gonna, all I'm going to be doing is carrying her bags all week long. <laughs> Bless God. <laughs> she walks over in front of him, says, come out! Boom! The guy, whoa! Falls on the floor. She walks straight, straight over to me and she goes, He's free now. (laughs) He had demons. And I tell you, this guy got up off the floor. He got up off the floor and he looked different. He was different. I'm telling you. And he walked up to me and he said, Thank you. Oh. That had nothing to do with me, man. Nothing. Nothing at all. So that was the first time. That was the first, and I, I went back to my room, oh, and I repented. God, forgive me for not believing that there is more than what I can see. God, forgive me that I, that I haven't been believing for more than what I had experienced in my life before. God, forgive me. And Lord, if you give me another chance, I'll obey you. A couple nights later, we were in a service and worship was going on. And this woman standing in front of me, we were just, it was packed. I mean, it's probably a tent about this big. I was, once again, I wasn't so much in the back. I was a little bit closer, to the, but not still, still in the back. And everybody was singing, the band was playing. And this woman standing in front of me, all of a sudden just goes berserk. She starts flailing and thrashing and screaming and fell on the ground and got back up and thrashed some more. And all of a sudden, I just had this epiphany, this amazing thought. She's got demons. (laughs) And just then, one of the other pastors runs across the room, grabs her and, and looks at me and says, pray for her. And I said, come out! I learned that. You know, you learn. You just, you know... You don't mess with them. She goes, Wah! and falls on the gown. Boom. And she gets up and smiles. At that moment, oh, at that moment, from the bottom of my feet, it felt like water, fire, power. You, I don't know how to, it's just like this. And it went from the bottom to the top of my head, just like whoosh. It filled me so fast, I couldn't even say no. It just whoosh. And I started dancing. And I'm, I can't show you. I know you're all sitting there going, show us. No. I would not do it justice. But I just went, now, whoa! And I started, whoa! And I'm flailing and dancing. I'm spinning around in circles. And I'm, I'm praising God. Hallelujah! And all of a sudden, the, the, the pastor, the hosting pastor up on the stage goes to the band, quiet, 
wash it. He's glory. He's full of the glory of God. I was, man. I was like, I could not care less. I'm spinning. I'm dancing. I'm... Okay, you can imagine. Think about what that looks like, okay? <laughs> I couldn't care less. God was good. Are you ready? Whoa, whoa. Back, 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 back. Back to the worship song. Are you ready? Are you, are you, expe- are you expecting that kind of worship? We should be. Now, do we have to go, you know, woo, every single time? No. But if we never see it, or when it does happen, you, you're like David's wife, Miriam. Oh, I wish he'd just settle down. Are you ready to be overcome by his presence, Lord? Another time. I'm not going to tell you all three times, but the second, another time. I don't know if I can't remember what order it happened in. I was in a worship service one night. And it was actually past the worship when it was the preaching time. So everybody's sitting just like this. Room full of people preaching. I'm sitting on the front row, not in this building, but I was sitting over on that side of the building in, that, in one of those seats in the front row. And the, and the preacher's talking about this subject. He's talking about being overwhelmed with the presence of God. Filled up beyond capacity to the point where you cannot contain it any longer. And he was talking about how when Jesus was filled with joy, it says that he stood up and rejoiced. The, the Hebrew word, or the, the Greek word, the Hebrew the translation from when it's telling that story, is that he stood up. It, doesn't, it isn't just that he rejoiced. It said that he stood up and he spun around shouting and shouting and shouting. And he was explaining that's what he was doing. That when Jesus stood up, it said he spun around because he was so filled with joy that the people were getting it that he rejoiced. We see he rejoiced. Oh, hallelujah. And he goes, no. He said he got so filled up with God that he didn't care what anybody else thought. He just, it was all abandoned. He just let it go. He was overcome by his presence, overcome by the presence of God. And I'm sitting in that seat over there and I'm sitting and I'm going, I want that. I want that. That meeting that night sounded just like this. You could hear the furnace running. You could hear the air blowing. It was quiet. It was quiet. Because there was somebody preaching. And we're Americans. We need to show respect. And sit quietly and pay attention. And he's preaching about being overcome by the glory of God. The longer I sit there, I finally close my eyes and I went, God, I want that. I want to, I want to be overcome by your presence. I want to be overwhelmed by your glory. Whatever that means. God, I don't want to put a limit on your glory. I don't want to put a limit 
on your presence. Father, I want that. The longer he preached, the longer I prayed. The room was silent. He kept preaching. I kept praying. I said, fill me, Father. Then I made a mistake. I said, fill me without limit. Fill me without limit. Don't limit. I want to feel all of it. I want, to, I want all of you, Lord. And in that moment, I start to shake. Not just a, ooh, oh, I got a chill. But I started to shake. And it started from the inside. I started shaking on the inside. And pretty soon I'm shaking more. And I'm shaking on the outside. I'm still sitting there and the room's still quiet. He's still preaching. I kept praying, God, fill me more. I want to be overcome by Your presence. Fill me, Lord. Fill me. I want You, Lord. I need more of You, Father. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I just wanted more. I started shaking. All of a sudden, everything. I was just, it was like I was on fire. It was heat. It was, and it was, but it was a good heat. It, it, it was a, it was a heat and it hurt, but it was a, it was good. It was wonderful. It was, it was like I was being consumed by his presence. And I'm still shaking. And all of a sudden, I hear these words. I don't know how he got there. I, I didn't know where he was, this guy that was preaching. All of a sudden, he's standing right in front of me and he's looking at me. He goes, What are you waiting for? And it was like a trigger. I mean, it popped. And when it popped, it was like, boom! And I know I'm not going to do it. I can't. <laughs> but I went, I absolutely came unglued. Do you know what everybody else in the room did? Nothing. They sat there, silent. As I come flying out of my chair, I jump up into the air, I start spinning around, yelling, Woo! Glory to God! And I'm spinning, and I'm dancing, and I'm spinning some more! Oh! And they just... And I'm spinning, and I'm dancing, and I'm spinning, and I'm yelling, and it goes on and on and on. I figure out the only way this is going to stop is to fall down. And this has to stop because I'm just about to the point where it's going to... And so I just let go of my legs and I hit the ground. And the guy just keeps right on preaching. And I lay there still burning. I'm burning. And the longer I lay there, the more it just that fire, the intensity of the fire gets harder, just deeper. I can't even explain. It just gets, it keeps growing and growing. And all of a sudden this thought goes through my head, I have got to get out of this building. If I don't get out of this building, I'm going to explode. I mean, I have to get, it was, I thought maybe it, because it was the presence of right there, maybe because right there is where God was. And if I move over there, I'm going to, it's going to get less. It didn't. I couldn't. I, I crawled over to a door. 
I crawled out of the room. He kept preaching. They kept sitting and listening. I get out of my car. It keeps happening. I get. I try. I start drive away from the building because they're still preaching. The meeting is still going on. I have got to. I can't. I'm overwhelmed. I can't take it anymore. I get away and I get home and I pull in my driveway and I'm going, oh my gosh! The, I mean, it's just the power of God surrounding me. And I'm going, oh my gosh! And all of a sudden, I hear these words. That was a drop. That was a drop. I have never asked for that again. (laughs) Maybe I should. (laughs) Not right now. We've got someplace else to go with today. (laughs) I'm sharing this this morning because I want to make you hungry and thirsty there's more we are so selling the spirit of god short we are so selling the kingdom short why did that happen why did that happen i was the only one nobody else moved nobody else jumped up nobody else yelled hallelujah nobody what why did that happen because you know, when stuff happens, you you got you need to ask why. What what's going on? What what happened in that? The next morning, I get back to church. I walk in the building, and this woman walked up to me and she said, "Pastor John, that was the most amazing thing I've ever experienced in my life, ever seen, ever." I've asked God to do the same thing in me tonight. Why did God do that? Because He wanted more people to be hungry and thirsty. Why is He having me share this this morning? Because He wants to make you hungry and thirsty for the presence. What we're experiencing, what we're living in right now is less than a drop. Where we're headed in the weeks and months ahead. I'm not even going to say years anymore because it's closer than you think. Where we're headed is a fullness of the, of the Spirit of God. We have to yield, but that's the, that's the point. We have to yield, which means God have your way. And I don't care about my, my reputation. I don't care what I look like. Where He wants us to go is to get so filled up with Him that we can no longer contain it. And it just... all over. It just explodes. Fire. Fire. The fire of God. Now, that was nowhere in my notes this morning. That is the Spirit of God saying, you're invited. You're invited. Seek Me for a deeper walk. Seek seek Me to know Me more. It's not about, I want to have that experience. Skip that. Our desire, our hunger, our question is, God, I want to know You more. 
I want to, I want to know you in the power of your resurrection. The power of His resurrection is more than a drop. Turn with me to Acts chapter 10. We've started here the last number of weeks. Let's start there again. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Why did he say that? Let's put this in context. What, where's this, what's this story talking about? I'm grabbing these verses out of the middle of the story, but the story is about Cornelius. Cornelius was a, was a, a Roman. He was a non-Jew. <coughs> and he had been seeking God. He had been, he had been wanting to know God more. And uh, he, had, he had given gifts to the poor. He had, had blessed some people. And Peter had a vision that there was a man named Cornelius who had been a blessing and that he had been seeking God and that Peter was supposed to go tell him about Jesus Christ and about, about being born again and about the, the fullness of what God had. So Peter went there, uh, you know, and he didn't want to. He didn't, he didn't, it wasn't his plan. It's not what he wanted to do that day. But he decided, he obeyed God. He said, okay, because so he knew, because he had, he had experienced something out of the ordinary. And he had gone there, and all he had done was started to preach. He hadn't even finished the sermon. He hadn't even, he hadn't even given the altar call yet. And the power of God hit all the people in the room. And it says they got saved, they got filled with the Holy Ghost. And he goes, well, as long as they got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, might as well baptize them. And then he says this. He says, I can see. Let me get the exact words. Peter opens his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. As for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with Him. And we are witnesses of all that He did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put Him to death by hanging Him on a tree. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and with power. And He went about doing good. But it wasn't because He just decided to do good things. It wasn't because He was a humanitarian. He didn't do it because He wanted to. He did, he did it because the Holy Spirit filled Him and the Father led Him to go do some stuff. He was overcome... Back to the song, don't have to go there. He was overcome by the presence of God and he yielded to him and followed him. And as he followed him, God said, go do this, go do that, go do this, say this, so say that, preach this, lay hands on that person, go ask this person over here, do you want to walk? Go ask that person over there, do you want to see? He, he led him and as he led him, all Jesus did was obey and because he was obedient to the power of God, to the anointing of God, 
He did amazing things. Because that's what God wants to do. God still today wants to do amazing things. But He has to do it through people. He has to do it through people. I have this question for you this morning. What is the most important thing in your life? Let me say it again. What is the most important thing in your life? Now, I'm asking that question under the anointing. I'm not asking it to set up a sermon. I'm not, I don't want to ask that question. I wasn't planning on asking that question, but this morning the Holy Spirit said, start off by asking this question. What is the most important thing in your life? Now don't give me the Sunday school answer. Jesus. The Bible. Prayer. That's kind of like, Ovana, give us a letter. Give us five letters. A-E-I. T-L-N-Z, or whatever they are. I don't even know what they say. Yeah, it's too bad. You guys know. That's sad. That's just sad. I mostly know. That's, the, that's even sad. Right? Just... What is the most important thing in your life? Because, here's how you can find out. If your house is on fire, what are you going to go in and save? That's, the, that's an easy question. Well, I'd go and save my wife. Oh. Let's get a little closer to home and more real. I'll just go all the way right to real. Today, if you have a choice to do it your way or someone else's way, your wife's, let's just make it real. Now remember, I'll, I'll put this into context. The Bible says, prefer one another. That's what it says biblically. If you, if you have a choice between doing it your way and your wife's way today, what is the most important thing in your life? Too many of us would say, <laughs> my way. Because there's all kinds of other things. That boils down to pride and selfishness and everything else. What is the most important thing in your life? Is it sleep? Is it comfort? Is it keeping your schedule on track? Is it making sure the checklist is perfect and up to date? Is it, oh, here comes the one that I'm going to get, you know, just all, you're all going to, everybody here is going to get. Is it your checkbook being perfectly balanced? Oh, don't mess with us, Pastor John. It's not funny. I don't know. It could be anything. When you really get cornered and pushed, what is the most important thing in your life? I'm going to answer for the church as a whole, not our church, because we're obviously we're much we're we're much higher on the scale than everybody else. I'm let's talk about them, okay? Let's just talk about them. 
The most important thing in the, in the world for the church over the last 2,000 years has not been the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not. Why? Because if it had been, we'd be done. What's the most important thing in the world? Turn to Luke chapter 5. That was the assignment I gave you this week. Luke chapter 5. We're only going to go today through verse 9. So next week, our assignment as a body, as a church, is Luke chapter 5. Every day, read it, pray, meditate. God, what are you saying through this? I'm only going to do the first nine verses today. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Okay. Context. What does it look like? What's happening here? Jesus is preaching. He's becoming known. The more He preaches, the more stuff He does, more people hear about it, more come to find out what's going on. The more that keep coming, it's just, you know we don't have the the mar- or they didn't have the marvels of of, uh, of electronics and mag- you know amplification and everything else. So have you ever been somewhere where everybody wants to be in the front? I've been to some concerts over my day, you know, over the years, and I've been in, I was in one concert one time. I'm big, I can handle myself in huge crowds, but I saw a young man one time get literally picked up by the crowd and moved. Because it was so crushed and people were moving. And the, the band stopped playing. And they said, whoa, you guys have got to stop. Said the people in the front row, their eyes are this big. Everybody back up. Everybody wanted to be in the front. So everybody was pushing, pushing, pushing. So you can imagine what's happening with Jesus here. He's against the lake. And they keep pushing. They, they want to get close because they've seen people who got close to Him get healed. They've seen people who've heard his word, their life changes. And if you can't, if you're too far back, you're not going to hear the word. What's he saying? I got to get closer. And everybody keeps pushing, and he keeps getting backed up to the lake. So they're on this lake, and there's huge masses of people that are pushing towards him. And he finally finds himself with his back against the lake and nowhere else to go. And he goes, looks around, and there's a couple of boats four fishermen, two boats, at least four fishermen, probably more. We hear about, we, 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 know, we know the names of four of them. And he looks at the boats. Now it's important that you notice that, he, that the word says they were done fishing, they had gotten out of their boats, and they were cleaning their nets. That would be like, it is three, or it's 2.58. You're at your workplace. You've put everything away. You've shut down your computer. You've put away all the tools. You've filed everything away. Everything is ready. And you're headed for Labor Day weekend. Four days of no boss. 
And just then, the boss walks in and says, hey, by the way. Now, over the years, God has really dealt with me on some things. And He usually deals with me where it causes pain. Now, before you theologically get all bent out of shape of what I'm about to say, understand it in this context. He doesn't put sickness on me. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't break my leg. He doesn't. No. But there was a night, it was before Christmas break, and I'm working at a former job. I was working at the YMCA camp, and I was, I was doing maintenance at the YMCA camp. It's before Christmas break. We're headed to southern Minnesota. It's beautiful. I mean, it's going to be a wonderful weekend with family and money given to us, which we needed because we were starving students. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. We're going to have fun. We're going to play games. We're going to see family. I'm all excited. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting my tools away. There is nobody in the camp. Not going to be anybody in the camp for two weeks. Nothing going on. I, I and my boss are the last two people in the building. I had told Deb, I'm going to come home, we'll take a shower, we'll hit the road, we'll be home. Two hours, we'll be home. Three o'clock, I'm putting my tools away, and he comes in and says, oh, by the way, John. What? Yeah, I want to flood the ice rink over the next two weeks and get a good layer of ice before the first group of students come in after the, after the you know, New Year's break. I want to have a good level of ice. He says, so can you go out and set up the ice rink? Think about this. Set up the ice rink. The ice rink was about 40 to 60, 12 to 16 foot 2 by 6s with stakes in the ground on both sides of them, bigger than this room, long, less than half wide, and it hadn't even been started yet. Before you go home tonight, can you put up the ice rink? And being the wonderful, full of God Christian that I am, I looked at him and said, no. He dug his heels in. John, I want that ice rink in. Because I'm going I'm to fill that ice rink. And I'm going to have a good set of ice in two weeks. And you're not going to be around, so I need it done tonight. I said, why don't you do it? I had an attitude. I had an attitude. I said, why don't you do it? He says, I'm busy. i got something i got to do. Where were you going? Doesn't matter, John. I'm the boss. You're the employee. Put up the ice rink before you leave. And I said, I can't tell you what I said. <laughs> I can, I'll translate it for you. I'll, I'll, no. <laughs> he put all of his stuff down. He looked at me and he said, do you want to work here anymore? And I said, I don't know. And he said, I said to put up the ice rink before you leave. I was so mad. I was just furious. And I stood there. And all of a sudden I heard that, heard that still small voice said, put up the ice rink. Whew. 
You know, there's, there's some times when you know it's God. And when it's something you do not want to do, and He said do it anyway, that's pretty much pretty sure it's God. Especially with this. I was like, Alright, man. Sorry. Sorry for the attitude. It'll be done before I go home tonight. He got in his car and drove off. Now, I wish I could tell you I had a great mood all the way through it. Because I didn't. I threw those stone tools. I was... Nobody was in camp, so I could say and yell anything I wanted to. Like, oh, bless the Lord. And hallelujah. Thank you for working out this stuff in me. No, I was ticked. Crap, terrible attitude. I th- I'm, you know, I, now that I look at it, I probably will get no reward whatsoever for obeying God in that situation because of the attitude that I had all the way through it. It was not on my schedule. It was, it was, okay, don't raise your hand. I can tell by your eyes. Was it unfair for him to ask me to do that? George. Oh, you want to know the kicker? Here's the kicker. I did it. I'm going all the way home. I'm repenting. I'm saying, God, okay, I'm sorry. Didn't kill me. Didn't ruin the two weeks. I was obeying God. God, I'll do it. I'm fine. That's it. I don't. I don't know if it had any bearing whatsoever on eternity or anything else. But what it did is it. Ch- it did something in me. It changed me. If God says to do something, you do it, and you do it to your own hurt. The kicker is, I came back after two weeks and asked, "Tell me how much ice was in the bottom of that ice rink." Test two. What do you say when you walk past the ice rink and you notice there's not a drop of ice? Test two. You walk away and you go, you know what, God, to your glory. I, I don't know. But God did break something in me in that day. He did change me that day. Be obedient. Do what He tells you to do. All right. Fished all night long, haven't caught a fish all night long. Tired, worn out, boat's out of the water, you're out of the boat, and your nets are almost completely clean. And Jesus walks up. Let's continue. Getting into one of the boats, which Simon's, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. I can only imagine Peter's face. In the, in the original Aramaic, I'm sure it was, dude. <coughs> but he did it. And praise God, he did it. It wasn't opportune. It wasn't, it wasn't on his schedule. It wasn't advantageous for him to dirty the boat again and to go and to get back into it and to push out and let this guy talk to a crowd. But he did it. Look all the way to the end of the story. We all know who Peter is. Go back to the beginning of the story. 
He preaches his sermon. He gets all done and he says, Hey, long as we're out here, throw the nets out. <laughs> right. What do you do for a living? I was a carpenter. Right. I'm a fisherman. We were out all night long, which is the time you go fishing. And we didn't catch anything. And now it's morning, midday, who knows how long he preached. And you're telling me to let down the net. Really? Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down the nets for a catch. He's not only demanding, he's unreasonable. There are times when it feels like God is unreasonable. Demanding. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But, everybody say but. but. At, everybody say at. at. Your, Your word. Now say that all at one time. But at your word. How busy is your schedule? If your schedule is anything like ours, you try to add one more thing to it without breaking the camel. Try to plan one more thing onto Tuesday nights. Or Monday afternoons. Or, or. And it seems like whenever you're at the busiest, when everything is at the craziest, is exactly when Jesus, when God says, when the Holy Spirit says, hey, I, I got something I need you to do. Are you willing to drop everything right now, right now, right this second, and do what God wants you to do? I have a friend of mine, many of you have met him, Thomas Lonke. Anybody know Thomas? Have you been following what's been going on in Eastern Europe over the past couple of weeks? Mass, mass of immigrants, uh, refugees, fleeing Arab nations, Syria, Lebanon, Afghanistan, so on and so forth, fleeing there because of different, whether it's economic, whether it's ISIS, whether whatever the, the reasons being, they're fleeing. And they're leaving by hundreds of thousands. Our friends in Romania, Hungary, have been in the middle of this. I've been in touch with them over the last couple of weeks. They've been in the middle of this for the last two weeks. Debritson, many of you have been to Debritson. Debritson's the town across the, the, the border from Sikihid, where we've, where we, and we cross the border sometimes right there at Debritson and come across and it's a bigger town. We don't hear it on the news. You haven't, we haven't heard that, but we have, uh, people who have, they live in Debritson, they've been around Debritson. There's been rioting in the streets in Debritson. Because these people have been walking and they've been riding, they've been doing whatever, but they've come all this way and they're starving. So they're walking into stores 20, 50, 100 at a time and just start raiding the shelves and walk back out. There's fights in the streets. There's, there's been all kinds of crimes being committed on both sides. It is an absolute horrible situation by any standards and i've been over the last two weeks i've been trying to think okay how how do how does a christian deal with that because you know yes there are people in need but you know how many of those people are terrorists 
walking right into Europe right now. I mean, I'm torn. I am. I'm still, I'm, I still don't feel like I've got a handle on how I feel about all of this. Um, you know, and, and, and being me, I would just say, you know what? No, you all stay out. Because we don't know which ones of you are safe. That's, that's just me. I'm sorry. I, I, that's where I'm at right now. But I've been hearing from our friends. You know, if, you, if you've heard on the, on the news at all about Budapest, there's been a whole bunch. I mean, hundreds of thousands have been coming across the border uh, from Serbia into, into Hungary, from, from Romania into Hungary, and from all these points. And then obviously tons coming through Greece and everything else. But in the town where we've crossed over into Serbia back and forth, over 100,000 refugees came across this last week. A hundred thousand. They're building a fence and they're still, they're cutting the wire, they're lifting the wire, they're crawling underneath. I mean, it is an absolute mess. Kaledi Station in Budapest. Many of us have been there and been in that station. It's, it's one of the main stations in, in Budapest. They finally, when they came in on trains, they locked the gates because they, they weren't going to let them out into the city. So they locked the gates and they kept them inside for five or six days. Right? I think it's been five or six days. Four days. It was for four days. But no food, no water, no anything. I mean, thousands of people locked into this station with armed guards around the outside. I mean, an absolute mess. What do you do? How many of you know Alan Lake? Alan and Katie Lake. A number of you. They, they help Pastor Attila. They work with Pastor Attila. I just saw a post this morning. It's the first time he's been able to get to a computer in two days. He and a team from Pastor Attila Church, Attila's church have been in Coletti Station bringing in food, water, huge tubs to bathe babies. Anything to just ease that pain, ease the suffering that's going on. Two days, they've, 24 hours a day, they've been bringing stuff in, food just to help. Pastor Thomas Lonke on Thursday morning called me on Skype. We were sitting doing something, all of a sudden his, his, he called on Skype. And he said, hey, he says, will you pray with me? He said, I just found out that a friend of mine from, from Syria, there's a, a friend of his, and it's, it's, his name is Pastor Saeed. It's not the same one you hear about from Iran. But a friend of his is a pastor in Syria, has, an, has a Christian church, and he said, Pastor Saeed just called me. He says, One of, some of my people are in Coletti Station. Will you help them? Thomas said, will you pray with me? I need to know what to do. And I said, yeah, I'll pray with you, man. I just, what do you do? About 12 hours later, I got my first email from his wife saying that he had left. He had jumped in the van and he had driven to Budapest. And she kept, us up, kept a whole bunch of people up to date. I just happened to be on the email list. He drove nonstop all the way to Budapest. From that moment, he walked around and around the station, looking through the, through the bars, kept yelling their names, trying to find them. Couldn't find them. Left. Went and checked another place where he heard more refugees were being held. Couldn't find them went back to Kaledi Station. Just as he got to Kaledi Station, he saw people getting pushed onto railroad cars. They opened the gates for the, railroad, for, the, for the train to head to Austria. 
And just there were uh, uh, trains and buses and everything else. They were pushing people on these buses. And and there's stories. uh, 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 Alan Lake is is telling about stories about people, families being separated because of the push. And Thomas yells through the gate, says, where's everybody going? Where are they taking them? They said, they're taking them to the Austria border. So he jumps in his van. He drives all the way back. He hasn't slept in over 24 hours. Drives all the way back to Austria, to the, next, to the closest train station. Gets out and people, uh, Syrian, uh, Middle Eastern people are just pouring out of the, the railroad station. He's trying to look and try to find them. He never did find them. He drove all the way back across and all the way back to, to Switzerland, back home finally is sleeping today. Moved by the Spirit of God. What's the most important thing in your life? What's the most important thing in this world But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the, land, in the other boat to come and help them. And when they came, they filled both boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This had to be the biggest catch they had ever experienced. Ever. Because you don't go, Whoa! Get away from me, man. I'm sinful. You're God. You have to be God. I've never seen, they had never seen anything like this. He is overwhelmed. He's overcome with the fullness of God. When was the last time you were overwhelmed by the Spirit of God? It's time. This isn't one of those sermons to just get you warmed up for today. This is one of those sermons that needs to last us the rest of our life. We have to change our priorities. There is a dying, lost world outside of these doors. And almost all of them will not come in those doors. They will if they, just, they, they, they knew something before and they've, they, or they're just drawn here. That, that can and will happen. But the majority will never cross these doors. And if our life is being lived to fulfill our pleasures, our needs, important needs. If, if our lives are being fulfilled to do what I want to do, then we're wrong. Our question must be, Lord, what do You want me to do today? It's time. We are in that time. We are in that time right now. We are in the time when people's lives hang in the balance. Not just abroad. We're here. 
we're here a majority of the time. That means our job is here a majority of the time. There will be times when we go and we'll see the bigger picture of what's happening in the world. But right now, the majority of our time is to be spent with the people around us, where you work, where you go to school, where we live. Lord, show me how to reach these people around me. I'm not saying that everybody is going to stand on a street corner, but every one of you is going to go to work on Tuesday morning. Every one of you is going to have a barbecue tomorrow. Or today. Or not at all. You're going to go to Chipotle. I don't care. People at Chipotle need Jesus. It has to become the kingdom. The kingdom. The kingdom and his and its king has got to be the priority of our life. It has to. It's time. Give me 100 people who fear nothing but God Himself and hate nothing, hate sin with all that they are and will change the world. We don't have to change the whole world. We just need to change the world within our influence. And then the people that we influence can change the world around their influence. And so on and so on. Our question must be twofold. What is the most important thing in my life? And two, Father, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do today? Worship team, can you guys come up? Ushers, can you prepare communion? You can stay seated. We're just gonna we're going to receive communion. Communion has so many facets of meaning and purpose. And this morning, as we prepare ourselves to receive communion, the Bible says that Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took the bread and He says that He broke that bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. He broke his body. He he laid his body on the altar. He laid down his will and said, the most important thing to me is that your will is done, Father. Says that at the end of the meal, he took the cup and he said, this is my shed blood. The shed blood of the of the new covenant. The shed blood for the remission of sins. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. He had made his mind up well before the garden. When he was at the garden and he was struggling, it wasn't from lack of commitment. I believe it was just from being absolutely overwhelmed with the magnitude of what was about to happen. And he was also fulfilling Scripture. And he said, not my will, but yours be done. As we receive communion today, that commitment must be on our lips. Not my will, but yours be done. Laying down our lives. Ready to sacrifice. Ready to give all 
for the kingdom. Father, we do come before you and we we ask you, Father, to fill us. Overwhelm us, Father. But I know, yes, salvation is free and life everlasting is a free gift to us, but Lord, I also know that it's going to cost us everything. Father, this is just me speaking right now. I can't speak for anybody else in this room. But for me this morning, Father, Your will be done. Not my will, but Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.